Hi everybody, welcome to the podcast and today we're recording at the Saal with the rain coming down outside so if that's our background noise it's really lovely so we'll push on with that. And today my guest is Chloe Caprani who's a wonderful choreographer, writer, artist, performing artist who's from originally from Manila and now in Singapore. So Chloe could you say a little bit about your background? My background is as a dance artist and as a cultural manager. Um, I grew up mostly in the Philippines, but my heritage is also Indian and Singaporean. Um, my dance background was mostly in hip-hop for 12 years, and then I got curious and I explored West African dance, contemporary, and now I explore a spectrum of traditional and contemporary art forms. And I just relocated to Singapore, so I'm very happy to be here. That's great, and welcome to the show. Today our focus is going to be on the Dance Festival, which has recently been on at the Esplanade, and it's an absolute buzz. I mean, when we go there, it's just full of people doing all sorts of things with dance, uh, managed by dance khakis, which are dance friends, and they sort of grab people in the foyer, and they're doing little hip-hop and all sorts of things going on. You can see free outdoor performances. You can join workshops, masterclasses, and the performance platforms are divided into center stage, which is more international mainstream companies, shift, which is more um, in the theater studio, tend to be experimental shows. Uh, we have a platform called The Next Generation, which is to look at our dancers from the Sal and NAFA in performances together. And so all of that goes on along with um, coffee chats where you can talk, this time it was to the offstage stars of dance, like the photographers, the stage managers, the lighting designers, some artistic directors. But we're going to jump right into some of the shows that we've seen this time. So one of the most exciting ones was actually a, a fellow Filipino dance artist, Ice Jockson, in a show called Macho Dancer. And Chloe went to that, so can you tell us about that? So Macho Dancer is Isa's work that she's been exploring um, since, I think, 2013. And Corponomi, the second part, is her work that shows seven years of kind of her overarching creative process. So both parts were really interesting. Um, my first experience of Isa's work was in 2014. It was at the University of the Philippines, and they have a museum called the Vargas Museum. And I went in purely out of curiosity. Um, and Isa's exhibition, the Philippine Macho Academy, was uh, was exhibiting, and it showed um, live macho dancing, but also showed the intricacies, the amulets, and. Uh, she had some drawings, and it was an ethnographic perspective of macho dancing, which was a particular phenomenon in the Philippines. Yeah, um, could you just explain a little bit more about what macho dancing actually is mm. in the Philippines? So macho dancing has been around since about the 70s, and you go into any you know strip club, but with macho dancing, you're you're servicing not just particularly males or females, but both. So it doesn't, um, it's not specific to a gender binary, so to say. So men can enjoy it, women can enjoy it. It's not like a gay club, so to say. So I guess that's what makes macho dancing interesting or unique. 
So in terms of the choreography that you saw, how do you think that it uh, transformed into a theatrical experience for the audience and how did you think the audience responded to the performance? Mm. In terms of physicality, I think macho dancing actually has a very particular technique to it because I also did ISO's workshop during the dance lab um, and Esplanade. So she, she talked about the, the physicality of it and so once you experience it with the body, it's actually very um, particular which the audience obviously won't notice it. Um, and what she did with Macho Dancer, I think it was just a mix of like power ballads and love ballads and it had like a very Pinoy or Filipino grit that you experience when you walk the streets of Metro Manila. And without saying much, she was able to have this very uh, machismo presence that was very reflective of the gender politics and the body as, as uh, labor from a Filipino perspective. Okay. And what was the Singapore audience reaction to the performance? <laughs> She's <laughs> laughing. <laughs> it was interesting. It was a very diverse audience. So aside from watching Aisa, it was really great to watch everyone else as well. There was one lady who was hiding <laughs> under her scarf because at one point Aisa, you know, she broke the fourth wall and she went into the audience and she had kind of a moment with almost everyone, just eye contact, you know, kind of watching you, watching her. And so some people would kind of smirk and some men would be like, okay, I can't look. Maybe I can or <laughs> some people were completely open to it, so it was it was it was interesting. Definitely struck a chord. Um, because I think in Singapore too, would you say that people were did this show have some sort of um, not rating but some sort of sense that it was going to be something erotic that people might be concerned about or or embrace, is that why they went? Or did you have some sense that people were surprised by what they saw, that they thought it would have been something different? I think walking into it, you already had that expectation. It already comes as is. Okay, so let's go on to the dance lab that you attended. It was a fantastic mix of people because you had Daniel Kay as well, didn't you, and Isa? And so what's, what were you doing in the dance lab? What do you think were the sorts of people and what did they want to get out of it? What did you get out of it? Mm. So for this dance lab, the theme was um, dancing in a crisis landscape. I think that was, once I heard um, that that was going to be kind of the foundation of what we were going to talk about and move around with, I think it was really important for me to be present in this workshop because, I mean, the whole world is going through such political turmoil. So what is our place in it as, as dancers, as performing artists? How do we survive? Um, you know, how do we create a stronger support system? So it was really great to be there. We were about 15 to 20 um, dance artists from different parts of Southeast Asia. So we had some from Thailand, Cambodia, of course, a lot of Singaporeans. Um, and Daniel Kay did a really good job curating everything. So it was a seminar, it was a mix of a seminar, dance workshop, and work in progress performances or studio performances. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's great. And what about um, 
What about some other things that you saw at the festival? Did you go to any of the rasas, for example? I was not able to go. Ah. Okay, well, I went to a few. I went to look at the Balinese dance, and then I looked at some of Chalk's performance, who um, do Odyssey dance. So I think that um, it's a fantastic setup. If you're going to a show, there are times such that you can see some of those before you go into your mainstream performance if you want to, otherwise you can watch it by itself. And I think one of the things about the festival that it is underpinned by this sense of tradition that exists or coexists with um, the most avant-garde or the most um, contemporary Western work. And I think this putting these things together really makes the Singapore Dance Festival quite unique. Mm -hmm. that, um, that that's not forgotten, it's not, um, and it's very much embraced that people can do workshops and classes in these forms. And it does bring in artists like um, Pichai Pinchun from Thailand, who's very well known in Singapore, but his background is still con, traditional con Thai dance, and he was taking workshops and giving performances in that as well. Do you know mm -hmm. his work? Yes, sure. so I did do his workshop. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about that. It, it, it was very interesting because the people who showed up at his workshop were really diverse. So you had some dancers, you had some, you know, just family goers, you had some kids. So when everyone walked in, slowly trickling, I could see in his reaction, he was like, oh, how am I going to, how am I going to teach this class? Um, so he gave, the, the way he um, structured the class made it so accessible for everyone. Um, and he started with a lot of for the first 30 minutes, we were just walking and practicing kind of how to differentiate concentration and discipline and, you know, wh what is the difference between the two and how do you practice that when you walk and when you move. Um, and then after you walk and you move, you had to, he showed us some simple steps and then you had to have a conversation with the person beside you while moving. So it was a lot of... Um, multitasking and it was it was also a good way to get to know the ecology and you know it was a very interesting dance class the way he structured it yeah, yeah that's it I mean that's another thing about the dance festival so I saw a couple of the I guess center stage shows I went to the LA dance project which is a company started by Benjamin Minipied and uh, he's best known perhaps for choreographing Black Swan the movie but he is an extraordinary choreographer and I, I was amazed at the audience reaction in that show actually. It was very um, dynamic but completely western based choreography but he started with a, a trilogy of Martha Graham works which was so amazing because nobody sees that anymore and to start with something like that which is quite static, the, the Graham technique, some of the works from 1952 I think the first one and then move into his own work and and a very contemporary final piece was um, quite extraordinary to see, I think. But what amazed me was the audience reaction. The audience were absolutely cheering all the way through. And it's as if um, these wonderful dancers, it was very skill-based work rather than conceptual work, but they, uh, the audience really embraced that. And then the second show I saw was Bosca Adora, which is by the Spanish flamenco choreographer Rocio Molinas, and that was amazing. It was so innovative, her take on flamenco dance. 
And being Spanish, I mean, people think flamenco dance, but of course um, I'm getting back to you to make a connection here with the Philippines, which of course has a large Spanish heritage, and uh, which is not necessarily flamenco, it's more... Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm just interested if that relates in any way to what uh, Melina was doing in her piece, trying to connect these threads of Spanish um, material. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the Philippines was colonized by the Spaniards for over 300 years. So we have a joke, we always say that we experienced 300 years of confession and 50 years of Hollywood. So that's a US influence. Um, and so the Philippines is predominantly a Catholic country, 80% Catholic and 20% Muslim. And we're the only Catholic country in Southeast Asia, which I find very interesting because the Indic influences or Indian influences are a little bit, you know, wiped out or shoved under. And I know that they're present and they're, they're th that they're there, but that's definitely an area that needs more research on. And also the pre-colonial spiritual practices and philosophies have also been wiped out by, by Catholicism and that influence. But when you do go to Metro Manila, you definitely see the Spanish architecture and the, and the churches, and that's where the influence comes in. And of course, the food and the language. So Flamingo. what about the dance? Yeah. Like Flamenco the dance. never really hit the Philippines, did it? It's more folk dance, would you no, say? No, yeah. The, the Filipino folk dance, I would say, has a very strong connection with other, our neighboring countries, like you know Malaysian dance forms and Indonesian dance forms with the hand gestures and etc. But flamenco? No. Yeah, well, I mean, that's <laughs> Not that I know of. It's interesting to mm -hmm. me, like, and I'm interested always in what people do with this extraordinarily passionate, fiery sort of dance material. And I, I just thought that uh, this piece, Bosca Adora, was extraordinary, the way she brought this really um, pagan sense, and you're talking about the Catholicism in Manila, and, and uh, but to, to bring the, this sort of pagan sort of side to the story, and it was, uh, it was very animalistic as well, I thought that she, uh, she did things there which were really outside the realm of what flamenco traditionally is, which is fiery and passionate, but in a sense a lot of the narrative is quite similar, uh, but she really brought some really female feminist power to it and in fact when we're going back to Isa Jockson I don't think it was an intention of the dance festival particularly but I think these two works particularly of very strong women mm. which I thought was a great thing to see and then of course we also had Dada Masalo's Swan Lake again it was about empowerment and, and strong strong women and strong people but, but also mm. with a, um, a, a strong sexual message too about um, sexuality and, and male sexuality and uh, so I thought the festival this year did bring some strong work. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, you were saying this um, kind of fiery quality. I, I think in the Philippines you really feel this fighting spirit that comes from, mm -hmm. you know, survival and I think that's part of it because we're also a matriarchal culture. Right, okay. Mm -hmm. So you think with Isa's work in particular, that was a, a thread that came through in Isa Jackson's work? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that's inevitable. For me, that came through. And so as a dancer uh, um, and a creative artist attending these performances, so did you think um, you were transformed in some way creatively because of some of the 
the doing the workshop and seeing ISIS work, what, what did you sort of feel as a person, as an artist, coming out of these shows and these experiences? Mm. Well, it was definitely very validating because it, it just proves that uh, the performing arts is a social practice and it is important for us to, to continue dancing and to continue moving because uh, it's just reflective of our society today and it's a very effective way I think to tell stories and to talk about very like heavy difficult things in a very light manner. Um, the second half of Isa's show, Corponomi, was, was just, it was so funny. But, the, but she, what she was discussing was very, very serious. Um, Tell us more about what she was saying. Sorry, this is a Kangsha making a cameo appearance on this podcast. I watched Macho Dance and Koponomi as well. And what I found really fun in Koponomi was that Isa came into the audience and started asking questions. But, uh, but she was, I think she was reenacting one of her performances called Princess. Happy Land. That's Sorry, Happy fun. Land. Yes. Is that what it's called? And she she put on the costume of Snow White, the Disney princess. So she she started like embodying this uh, exaggerated femininity, ex- traditional idea of femininity, mm-hmm. like a sweet, high pitched voice and kind of frolicking around. And but then she broke that with the language of macho dancing, which was so fun to watch. So Happy Land um, is Isa's recent work and it's a response to, because a lot of the dancers in the Philippines, what happens to them is because they need, you know, steady income and etc. They go to Hong Kong, Hong Kong Disneyland in particular, and then they portray these kind of white princesses. And because they embody white princesses, they kind of have to set aside their own history and it's funny because all of these Disney stories are things that we're all or at least most of us are familiar with but then if I think about like you know what what don't we know like I don't know that much about maybe Filipino methodology or um, etc but I, I know all of these Disney stories so I think there's 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 something there that's that's tapping into the current trends, yes. Mm. So. Yeah, so, so that was Happy Land, and it was, it was hilarious. Yeah, so that's her kind of commentary on it. Okay. Mm. Did you see anything else? So I saw Macho Dance and Koponimi, and I also saw Dance Clinic as well. Oh, Did you right. see Can that you one? Can tell us a little bit about that? Uh, did, have you seen I it? I didn't see I'm so um, of it. It was kind of a lecture slash performance, and Choi Kaifai sets up this role that he takes on as a dance doctor claims to have come up with this technology that measures the brain waves of choreographers or dancers and claims that with this technology we can create new kinds of choreography based on the brainwave uh, measurements taken from choreographers. Do you think it came across? I mean, what was the audience for this show? Did they enjoy it? Did they get into the There was so much laughter. Very fun. Okay, so it's good that we covered that one as well. And I had some um, students that went to that one and they thoroughly enjoyed it as well. So I think what we're getting a sense of is the spectrum of what dance festival offers really. It's quite, it goes from things that are very experimental to quite mainstream events, so they all seem to attract audiences, which um, really shows you that Singapore has an audience for dance and is looking for diversity, variety, whether it's traditional dance, experimental dance, 
or more um, mainstream dance. And I think it's something we should remember that, that is good here because I think sometimes we get very bogged down with particular genres and we silo ourselves in particular places, whereas you know, sometimes you go to something completely different and it's, you, know, you recognise that that's dance too and that's a completely different thing. So what about the audiences at the studio theatre? Were, were the performances full or do you think there's a large audience there? I think for the two shows that I watched it was pretty full house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, dance clinic and much so yeah. So people are really flocking to the dance festival. And I think this time it did reinvent itself a bit, that did break out. Partly because they had the Stuttgart Ballet earlier to do Romeo and Juliet, John Cranko's Romeo and Juliet. So taking that out of the festival and putting in something more experimental like uh, Dada Mosolo's Swan Lake mm-hmm. was something that sort of added to the, the experimental side of it while still attracting probably a more mainstream audience. Mm-hmm. So something for everyone. So I think it's, uh, you know, we hope that they keep going and that's... Um, it's something that Singapore is really still embracing and enjoying. So I think we'll, we'll thank you for coming in, Chloe. It's fantastic. And Akantisha for also joining in. And uh, we'll see the, everybody next month with a wrap-up of dance in Singapore. <laughs>